You're listening to Rowan Radio On Demand. Download more podcasts at rowanradio.com. The following program does not represent the views or opinions of the staff or administration of Rowan University or Rowan Radio. 89.7 WGLS-FM. Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM proudly presents The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. And now, the Rowan Radio News Team. Good morning and welcome to the Rowan Report here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. I'm Allie Bruce with the Rowan Radio News Team. Some of this week's headlines include cocaine was found in the west wing of the White House, Israel and Lebanon are exchanging rockets, and two firefighters died battling a fire at a Newark port. Here's your national news recap for the week of July 2nd. The bag of cocaine found at the White House will now be tested for DNA and fingerprints. NBC News' Kelly O'Donnell says the investigation is looking into the West Executive entrance. The fact that it's close to the Situation Room is certainly uh, notable. We had earlier been told that it was one level above and also a lobby area in the West Wing, closer to where the Oval Office is. That's according to NBC News, which also noted the investigation could be completed by Monday. On Wednesday, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre told reporters it was found in a heavily traveled area where many West Wing visitors walk through. NBC News also reported that officials say it's possible there may be no resolution in the investigation. Investigators are also reviewing security camera footage from the area where the bag of cocaine was found. The company behind the doomed Titanic submersible is shutting down for the time being. OceanGate says it has suspended all exploration and its offices are closing indefinitely. Investigators are searching for any insight into how a catastrophic implosion killed all five passengers aboard the vessel. Former Vice President Mike Pence is defending his decision to certify the 2020 presidential election results following the Capitol riot. The Constitution affords no authority for the Vice President or anyone else to reject votes or return votes to the states. Never been done before should never be done in the future. While on the campaign trail in Sioux City, Iowa this week, a woman questioned Pence, claiming he had the constitutional power to block the certification of Electoral College results and prevent Joe Biden from becoming president. Pence disputed her claim, saying the Constitution is clear that he did not have the power to do so. He said no vice president in American history has ever asserted that authority and never should. Former President Trump repeatedly called on Pence to reject the election results of key states won by Biden and send them back to the states for further review. The federal prosecutor leading the investigation of President Joe Biden's son, Hunter, is pushing back against claims that he was blocked from pursuing criminal charges in Los Angeles and Washington and denies retaliating against the IRS official who disclosed details about the case. In a two-page letter to the House Republicans on Friday, U.S. Attorney David Weiss in Delaware defended the lengthy investigation into Hunter Biden's financial dealings that ended last month with a plea with the Justice Department that likely spares Biden from time behind bars. Weiss, who was named to that post by President Donald Trump, was kept on by the Biden administration. He said in his letter that the department, quote, did not retaliate against Gary Shipley, an IRS agent who said the prosecutor helped block Shapley's job promotion after the tax agency employee had reached out to congressional investigators about the Biden case. Shapley is one of two IRS employees interviewed by Republicans pursuing investigations into nearly every facet of the younger Biden's business dealings. 
One of the investigating committees, the House Ways and Means Committee, voted to publicly disclose congressional testimony from the IRS employees shortly after the plea deal was announced on June 20th. The Pentagon says three Russian fighter jets harassed U.S. drones on a mission over Syria. Using things like uh, parachute flares to drop in front of them, as well as uh, one aircraft engaging its afterburner. Brigadier General Pat Ryder called it unsafe and unprofessional behavior. The military released video of the tense encounter. The drones were carrying out a mission against ISIS. The aide charged along with former President Trump in his classified documents case has pleaded not guilty. Walt Nauta appeared in a Florida federal court Thursday morning for his arraignment hearing. Trump's co-defendant faces six charges, including making false statements and conspiracy to obstruct justice. Nauta is accused of aiding Trump in hiding documents from investigation. Trump pleaded not guilty to more than three dozen felony counts last month. The White House says one of the most powerful endorsements of President Biden's economic agenda is coming from some congressional Republicans. Congressional Republicans who voted no and attacked it on Fox News, then went home to their district and hailed its benefits. Deputy Press Secretary Andrew Bates noted there are several Republicans who voted against Biden's Inflation Reduction Act, but later welcomed the jobs and investments the programs brought to their home states. He specifically named members of the South Carolina delegation. Biden visited West Columbia, South Carolina Thursday to announce a new manufacturing partnership between solar and battery company Enphase Energy and manufacturing firm Flex. The White House claims the partnership will create 600 new jobs in South Carolina and 1,800 nationwide. Fentanyl is overcoming the streets of the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. Police have recovered over 150 pounds of fentanyl from the street dealers from the beginning of the year to just this past Saturday. That's more fentanyl than was seized the entire year in 2022 and in just the Tenderloin alone. This year's street value thus far is worth nearly $200,000. San Francisco Police Department data shows in 2023 the department has seized almost 10 pounds more than last year already. According to District Supervisor Matt Dorsey, in the next four years, the city is set to see 25 times as many fentanyl seizures. Federal investigators are joining local law enforcement to continue searching for a man who escaped from a detention facility in Caroline County, Virginia, four days ago. York County Sheriff's deputies arrested Dennis Zeladon Hernandez May 13th and charged him with driving under the influence, child endangerment, concealing a weapon, and driving without a license. A spokesperson for the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement told WRIC Hernandez is a Salvadorian national and not an American citizen. He was waiting to be deported back to El Salvador when he escaped the Caroline County Detention Center this past Sunday. Authorities say anyone who sees Hernandez should contact the police immediately. I'm Rebecca Hughes. A woman in Santa Cruz has died from overdosing on a newly emerging street drug known as the zombie drug. The County of Santa Cruz medical examiner and coroner confirmed the death Wednesday was from xylazine, also called Trank. The 35-year-old woman died in early June. A postmortem toxicology exam revealed xylazine and fentanyl in her blood. Xylazine was developed for tranquilizing large animals like cattle. Police say it's been increasingly detected, leading to ODs and serious wounds causing infections that lead to amputations. Santa Cruz health officials are alerting local doctors to its increasing prevalence in the county's illicit drug supply. I'm Allie Bruce, and that was your national news. I'm Gavin Trutzenbach with your international news report. All three international stories are coming from Reuters. In our first story, a rocket launch at Israel from Lebanon has drawn Israeli cross-border shelling. 
Two rockets were fired from southern Lebanon toward Israel on Thursday, prompting cross-border strikes by the Israeli military, sources on both sides said. The incident came amid heightened Israeli-Arab tensions after Israel this week conducted one of its largest military incursions in decades in the occupied West Bank, targeting the Jenin camp, a Palestinian militant stronghold. Three security sources in Lebanon said two rockets were fired toward Israel, one of them landing in Lebanese territory and the second near a disputed area at the border. After initially saying it had no indications of any unusual incidents on its side of the border, the Israeli military said a projectile had exploded there. There was no word of any damage. In response, the IDF, Israel Defense Forces, is currently striking the area from which the launch was carried out in Lebanese territory, a military statement said. It added that Israeli communities near the border had not been issued with any special instructions. During major flare-ups, Israel usually orders civilians within range to take cover. There was no claim of responsibility for the original reported rocket fire from Lebanon. Caretaker Prime Minister Najib Makati said he was following up on the issue with the commander of Lebanon's army. The sources in Lebanon said the second rocket had landed near the disputed village of Gaher, which straddles the Israel-Lebanon border, but whose residents profess allegiance to Syria. The United Nations peacekeeping force in southern Lebanon urged all sides to show restraint and avoid an escalation after the reported exchange of fire on Thursday, given the area had already experienced tensions earlier this week. In our second international story, Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko said on Thursday that Yevgeny Prigozhin, the mutinous chief of Russia's Wagner Group, was still in Russia with thousands of fighters, but dismissed speculation that President Vladimir Putin would have Prigozhin killed. Lukashenko helped broker a deal with Putin to end last month's mutiny, the gravest challenge to Putin in his 23 years in power, under which Prigozhin was supposed to stand down his mercenaries and move to Belarus in exchange for charges being dropped. But in comments that raised questions about the deal, Lukashenko said Prigozhin and his fighters were still in Russia. Lukashenko added that he would stand by his offer to host Wagner, a prospect that has alarmed neighboring NATO countries, and would speak to Putin shortly. The Kremlin said no date had been set. He is not on the territory of Belarus, Lukashenko told reporters in Minsk's vast independence palace. He is in Petersburg. Perhaps he went to Moscow this morning. Lukashenko said Prigozhin had his liberty, but that journalists were naive if they thought Russian security services were not keeping a very close eye on him. Asked about earlier comments suggesting Putin had wanted to wipe out Prigozhin as the mutiny unfolded, Lukashenko said some in the Kremlin had wanted this, but that it would have tipped Russia into civil war. Prigozhin said at the time that his mutiny was not aimed at toppling Putin, but at settling scores with Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu and Chief of the General Staff Valery Drasimov. Wagner spearheaded the nine-month battle for the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut, but Prigozhin repeatedly accused the top brass of corruption and incompetence, and cast the June 24th March of Justice on Moscow as a protest against them. A business jet linked to Prigozhin left St. Petersburg for Moscow on Wednesday, and headed to southern Russia on Thursday, according to flight tracking data, but it was not clear if he had been on board. If Prigozhin does return to Russia with impunity, it will raise new questions about Putin's authority in the wake of the brief mutiny. In our third and final international story, Chinese President Xi Jinping on Thursday urged the military to deepen war and combat planning to increase the chances of victory in actual combat, Xinhua News Agency said, renewing his call to troops to safeguard China's sovereignty and territory. Xi said, the world has entered a new period of turmoil and change, and China's security situation has become more unstable and uncertain, according to state-run Xinhua, in comments he made to troops while on an inspection tour of the Eastern Theater Command, responsible for the security of eastern China, including the East China Sea and the Taiwan Strait. Since the visit of the then-U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi to Taiwan in August last year, China has staged war games around the island and conducted drills and live firing in the region. 
China has repeatedly called on U.S. officials not to engage with Taiwanese leaders, viewing it as support for Taiwan's desire to be viewed as separate from China. China has never renounced the use of force to bring Taiwan under its control. In 2005, it passed a law giving Beijing the legal basis for military action against Taiwan if it secedes or seems about to. Xi's call to step up combat readiness came as U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen arrived in Beijing for talks aimed at easing tensions between the U.S. and China. We must persist in thinking and handling military issues from a political perspective, dare to fight, be good at fighting, and resolutely defend our national sovereignty, security, and development interests. Xi told the Eastern Theater Command. He similarly stressed the need to deepen military training and preparation, just as the Chinese Navy increased its assertiveness with training missions and drills to counter expanding U.S. maritime presence in the region. I'm Gavin Trutzenbach, and that was your International News Report. I'm Riley Adams with your local news. From CBS3, Newark firefighters Wayne Brooks Jr. and Augusto Akabu died during the overnight hours while battling a fire on board a cargo ship in Port Newark. Newark Fire Chief Rufus Jackson identified them as 49-year-old and 45-year-old members of Engine 16 on the city's east side. Officials said five other firefighters were injured. One remains hospitalized with critical injuries, according to a source briefed on the situation. The source said the ship was loaded with used cars that were apparently headed overseas to be refurbished and sold. The Newark Fire Department was the first on the scene when the flames broke out at around 9.30 p.m. Wednesday on the ship docked by Corbin and Marsh Streets. The chief said the 12-story vessel was carrying approximately 5,000 vehicles at the time. The fire started on the 10th floor and spread to the two above. A unit quickly made its way into the vessel, but was overcome by a 10 heat on the 10th floor. When two firefighters got lost, the rest of the crew sent out mayday signals to units up and down the East Coast, including FDNY. While investigators are still trying to figure out the cause, Officials have also launched an investigation to see how the situation was handled and if they could have gone about it differently. Earlier Thursday morning, a procession for the firefighters traveled from the port to a nearby hospital as condolences poured in from across the state. From 6ABC, on Monday, a mass shooting in the city of Philadelphia claimed the lives of five people and left four others wounded. While a suspect is now in custody, friends and family members of the victims are deep in mourning after another deadly show of gun violence. An interfaith prayer visual was held on Wednesday night at the Salt and Light Church in King Sessing, where memorials and visuals honored the dead. There, the community rallied around those who were left mourning. Before the visual ended, several families of the victims gathered in front with clergy members around them. They embraced each other as the community was asked to support them through this difficult time. The shooting was first reported at approximately 8.30 p.m. on the eve of the 4th of July in the southwestern part of the city. Police say people called 911 to report a shooting and others flagged down officers. Arriving officers found several gunshot victims at the scene and soon after heard more gunfire and were in towards the sound. That's when officials say officers encountered 40-year-old Kim Brady Carriker and where police were able to corner the suspect. Character has been charged with 11 total offenses, some of which include murder, attempted murder, reckless endangerment, and aggravated assault. A police walk is set to take place on Thursday at 6 p.m. to continue to honor the victims of the mass shooting. The Philadelphia Police Department and clergy ask anyone attending to join them at 56 and Chester Streets. From Fox 29. A principal at the center of a graduation fiasco at a Philadelphia high school that has since gone viral on social media has been replaced. In June, some graduates from the Philadelphia High School for Girls were denied their diplomas on stage at graduation after expressions of excitement. The graduates' families were told not to cheer and to hold their applause. Graduates were also told that they could only walk across the stage. Hafsa Abdur Rahman participated in the graduation, but after doing a physical gesture across the stage, Philadelphia High School for Girls principal Lisa Messi did not hand over the diploma. The graduates said the outburst of joy was brought on by reaching the end of a high school career that was partly ravaged by the COVID-19 pandemic. Graduate Salima Birch was also denied her diploma 
diploma for making a gesture that caused a reaction from the audience. Though the students receive their diplomas after the conclusion of the ceremony, the students and their families say it does not make up for the embarrassment they faced. In a letter addressed to parents, the school announced Janice Butler would serve as a substitute principal in a change that they say is only temporary. Sources say Messi received death threats after the news of what happened at the graduation went viral. It is unclear if Messi will return to the school. From News 12. Five people are dead after a single-engine plane crashed over the weekend in a South Carolina coastal resort. Officials said Sunday's fiery wreck near a golf course in North Myrtle Beach killed all four passengers and the pilot, the Myrtle Beach Sun News reported. The Monday update raised the death toll from initial reports that one person had passed. Tamara Willard, the chief deputy coroner for Horry County, told the newspaper that one person died shortly after being taken to a regional hospital while the others died at the crash. The identities of the victims were shared Wednesday evening after officials first informed their families. I'm Riley Adams, and that was your local news. I'm Aiden Doherty with your Rowan News. Rowan University's William G. Rohrer College of Business, also known as RCB, received reaccreditation in June through the Association to Advance Collegiate Schools of Business, or AACSB, an international body that applies rigorous standards to all facets of business education. RCB Acting Dean Dr. Morris Collini said the AACSB's reaccreditation, which must be completed every five years, examined all aspects of college operations, including teaching and research, curriculum, degree prevalence in the job market and the college's social impact. Reaccreditation is a reflection on all you offer. RCB offers a wide range of undergraduate degree programs in accounting, entrepreneurship, finance, human resources, management, management information systems, marketing, and supply chain and logistics, as well as a popular and flexible MBA and MS in finance. He noted that in addition to the AACSB accreditation, the RCB has accredited the ABET, the Accreditation Board for Engineering and Technology, for its undergraduate MIS program. We are one of the few American business colleges to hold both the AACSB and the ABET accreditation, Kalini said. Kalini said the reaccreditation is helpful internally as it requires administrators, department chairs, and faculty to continually review and improve college-wide operations like research, classroom lessons, mentorship opportunities, and special programming. But he said, having an achieved reaccreditation, there's no time to rest. Now the process starts again, he said. Former WLSFM at General Manager Frank Hogan reports Mike Donovan has passed away on Thursday. Mike Donovan was the founder of the radio, TV, and film department. He was a former Rowan Radio member and WGLS-FM station advisor. He was also a 2018 inductee of the WGLS-FM Hall of Fame. Mike Donovan began his teaching career in 1972 and created the radio, television, and film program at Glassboro State College. It grew into one of the largest departments now with the Rick Edelman College of Communication and Creative Arts. His impact went beyond the walls of WGLS-FM. He also had a relationship with the King Family Foundation that has led to around $1.4 million in support for Rowan students. WGLS-FM struggled to find its footing in the 70s until Donovan became station advisor. He was in that role until 1988. Donovan was responsible for numerous improvements, including the move to Savitt's library. He also co-authored the station manual, which is still in existence today. I'm Aiden Doherty, and that was your Rowan News. That does it for the first half of the Rowan Report, wrapping up this week's national, international, and local news. We are going to take a quick break. Up next, we have your weekly sports, business, and entertainment news. Stay tuned right here on Rowan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. Welcome back to the Rowan Report. I'm Allie Bruce along with the Rowan Radio News Team. 
I'm WGLS Sports Director Jack Miller for the Roan Report with your news from the professional sports world. Starting off with the MLB, a few injuries are shaking up some of the all-star lineups. Shohei Otani suffered a right middle finger blister and will not pitch anymore and only be a designated hitter for the all-star game. Mike Trout suffered a hand injury that will bench him for four to eight weeks and will be replaced by Houston Astros outfielder Kyle Tucker. Two pitchers, one from each side, the AL and the NL, are now injured right before the all-star break. Tampa Bay Rays starting pitcher Shane McClanahan is now dealing with mid-back tightness and will not participate in the All-Star game anymore, as well as left-handed Los Angeles Dodgers starting pitcher Clayton Kershaw, who is now suffering with a left shoulder soreness injury and will not participate either. Seattle Mariners starting pitcher George Kirby will now replace McClanahan in the All-Star game, and Pittsburgh Pirates relief pitcher David Bednar will replace Clayton Kershaw. All of the MLB's home run derby participants have been announced, as well as the bracket. The number one seed of the home run derby is Chicago White Sox outfielder Luis Robert Jr., who is second in the American League in home runs with 25. Luis will be taking on the young catcher of the Baltimore Orioles, switch hitter Adley Rushman, who holds the number eight seed. The top two teams of the AL and their home run leaders will take on each other as number four seed outfielder Adolis Garcia of the Texas Rangers will battle against the number five seed of Tampa Bay Rays outfielder Randy Arozarena. We'll have a 2022 home run derby semifinals rematch, where two-time home run derby winner New York Mets first baseman Pete Alonso, who is the number two seed and is looking for the same result against the hometown kid and number seven seed Seattle Mariners outfielder Julio Rodriguez. Last time these two guys went against each other in the Home Run Derby, Pete Alonso came up on top. The last two members of the Home Run Derby are Los Angeles Dodgers infielder and outfielder Mookie Betts at the number three spot and Blue Jays Vladimir Guerrero Jr. who will face Mookie Betts as he holds the number six seed. The Home Run Derby will take place on Monday night in Seattle, Washington at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Continuing with the MLB, New York Yankees relief pitcher Jimmy Cordero has been suspended for the rest of the 2023 MLB season. The reasoning for Cordero's suspension is due to the relief pitcher violating the MLB's domestic violence policy. This 76-game suspension is the longest suspension by a New York Yankee since Domingo Yerman's domestic violence 81-game suspension. Continuing with the New York Yankees, per ESPN, Yes Network cameraman Pete Stendel, who was positioned down the first baseline, was hit in the head after a wild throw from Orioles shortstop Gunnar Henderson. The Yes Network said that Stendel was conscious after the hit and was diagnosed with an orbital fracture. The game was delayed 17 minutes due to his injury. Last but not least, the NBA will now have a mid-season tournament during the regular season. The full announcement will be made later today, and all we know is that the semifinals will be held on December 7th, and the finals will be held on December 9th, just like the G League does with the Showcase Cup each year. Adam Silver also said that it will count towards the team's regular season records as well. The structure, group drawings, and the location of the tournament will all be unveiled later today. Again, I'm WGLS Sports Director Jack Miller for the Roan Report with your news from the professional sports world. Hi, I'm Megan Steckler with your Roan Report business update. Wall Street is opening with stocks lower. This comes after private sector jobs increased by almost 500,000 last month. That's the biggest gain since July of last year. At the opening bell, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500, and the NASDAQ were all trading lower. Iowa egg prices have fallen since the height of bird flu outbreaks. Kevin Stiles of the Iowa Egg Council says it's been at least six months since an Iowa poultry farm reported an avian influenza case. It's been six months or more, and so it's taken some time for flocks to rebuild. He credits biosecurity measures for halting the spread of the virus to other poultry farms. Consumers are finding more deals on eggs at the store. Kevin Stiles says biosecurity measures are getting some of the credit. We saw very little farm-to-farm spread 
uh, last year. So biosecurity worked. Most of the cases of high path were a result of wild bird uh, point source introductions. Toyota says it's made a huge breakthrough in battery tech for electric vehicles. The automaker says it's found a way it believes can give a car a range of 745 miles on just a 10-minute charge. The plan is to manufacture the new solid-state batteries as soon as 2027. So far, these types of batteries have been prohibitively expensive, but Toyota says they'll be able to slash the cost, size, and weight. Spending on political advertising for the 2024 elections has already doubled what was spent for the 2020 cycle. The polls don't open for another 15 months, yet in this off year, Ad Impact reports that more than $453 million have been spent so far. By this time in the 2020 election calendar, less than $222 million was spent on political campaigns. Consultants believe this trend will continue up until Election Day. I'm Megan Steckler, and this has been your Business News Report. I'm Al Lawton, and this is your Entertainment News. Tracy Chapman has become the first black woman to hit number one on Billboard's country airplay chart as a sole songwriter. Luke Combs' version of Chapman's 1988 classic Fast Car has soared to the top of the chart, helping to make that history happen. This is only the second time since country airplay's debut in 1990 that a black songwriter has reached number one, credited as the only writer on a track. The first was Sam Cooke with his 1964 song Good Times, as covered by Dan Seals decades later. Jimmy Buffett is playing live again for the first time since he was hospitalized last May. The Margaritaville singer made a surprise appearance at a concert in Rhode Island on Sunday that featured members of his Coral Reefer band and told his cheering fans that it's good to see an audience. Buffett had to cancel a concert in May after he was hospitalized for an unspecified medical issue. On Sunday, he played for about 45 minutes at a venue whose owners said it was clear Buffett was itching to get back on the road. Vietnam's Barbie ban, after a scene that reportedly shows a map of the South China Sea, may be spreading to the Philippines. Vietnam's Film Council banned the new Barbie movie on Monday because it shows the so-called Nine-Dash Line in the South China Sea, indicating China's territorial claim to the body of water, which Vietnam says violates its sovereignty. Film regulators in the Philippines are now threatening to join the Barbie boycott, with some calling for the scene to be edited. Actor Daniel Radcliffe says he has no interest in appearing in the new Harry Potter series. Warner Bros. Discovery announced recently it would be turning the series of novels into a TV show for its streaming platform, Max. Radcliffe starred as Harry Potter in all eight films of the original franchise. The actor said he's definitely not seeking that out in any way, but he wishes them all the luck in the world. The Eagles will head out on one last tour starting later this year. The Rock and Roll Hall of Famers announced the Long Goodbye Tour will launch on September 7th at New York City's Madison Square Garden. The band will be joined by Steely Dan at each of the 13 dates scheduled so far for 2023. The Eagles say the farewell tour will extend into 2025, and they'll play as many shows in each market as their audience demands. A pre-sale for tickets will start on July 12th, with a general sale set for July 14th. Taylor Swift is putting a new spin on another one of her old albums. The hitmaker re-released her third studio album, Speak Now, Friday. Swift has been recording new versions of her Big Machine releases, which she will own the rights to. 
In other Taylor Swift news, Paramore is joining Taylor Swift for the UK and European leg of her Eras tour. Swift confirms this week that she'll be adding 14 new shows to the tour, which will feature the alt-rock band next summer. The sexual assault trial against actor Kevin Spacey is continuing in London. Spacey is being accused of sex offenses against four men that allegedly occurred between 2001 and 2013. In court this week, one of the accusers compared Spacey to the psychotic killer he portrayed in the movie Seven. The actor is being charged with 12 counts of sexual assault, indecent assault, and other offenses. Spacey has pled not guilty and maintains his innocence. I'm Al Lawton, and that was your entertainment news. And that wraps up this week's edition of the Roan Report here on Roan Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM. For the Roan Radio News Team, I'm Allie Bruce. Have a great day. You've been listening to The Rowan Report, a weekly news magazine that recaps local, national, and international news that affects you. Be sure to join us every Saturday morning at 9.30 for another edition of The Rowan Report, exclusively here on Rowan Radio, 89.7 WGLS-FM.